You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Detroit Uncensored. All things Detroit. Real talk, no holding back, no holds barred. Good morning, Sunday, August 16th. It's 11 a.m. for episode 004. This is your host, BJ Humphrey, on Detroit Uncensored with your co-host... Londa Gat. How are you doing today, Londa? Great. How are you doing? Good, good. We've had an exciting weekend. We are honored and privileged to have Jordan Genzo, Democrat candidate for Livingston County Clerk, here with us today. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing quite well. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, of course, man. Of course. All right. So let's jump right into it. Uh, anything you want to get, get off your chest? No, it's just... How's your it's, family? Yeah, they're doing well. It's great to see you yeah. after all these years, and great yeah. that uh, to see you're in, in the arena. Yeah. Well, Jordan and I go back and forth a lot on Facebook. Uh, we actually have very, very good civil discourse. Uh, Jordan is one of the few people that uh, shuts down, I would say, the trolls on both sides, and I, I do the same as well, so we can have a positive discussion. Um, so I wanted to invite him in here. Uh, he is a great guy. I've known him for 30 years. Went to kindergarten with him. That was, that was a long time ago, huh? Yes. Oh, yes. And uh, he's actually, I would call him a reasonable Democrat. Um, so, you know, again, this, this podcast is about having reasonable, productive conversations. Uh, he is a good friend of mine. I've known him a long time. And uh, every conversation I've had with him has been productive. And uh, he's one of the few people, uh, I like myself, I'm willing to reach across and agree to disagree and also uh, find common ground. So Yes. So uh, he is running for Oakland County Clerk. Uh, so Jordan, fill us in. What's the role of the clerk for so, yes. people that don't know? So the clerk, you especially in Livingston County, it's funny when you walk in um, to the historic courthouse, you see that there's two different branches for the clerk's office. You have the record keeping for uh, different personal records like uh, birth certificates, marriage certificates, um, your CPLs, and uh, just the records for different people mm-hmm. in the county. And then you have the election side of things where the county clerk is the top elections official in the county. And so their role then is to assist candidates with getting on the ballot and just making sure that all the rules are followed um, to run the smooth election. All right. So you're putting yourself in a hot position coming up for uh, no, well, I guess not this this election, right? But the, the next election. Yes. Well, yeah, and especially it's when I entered this race, and I knew years ago I was going to run for this. I did not know that it would be such a relevant. Uh, position for what's happening today with you know absentee voting and just all the different um, concerns with how our elections are being run. It's a very relevant race, um, especially with uh, the reapportionment of the county districts that it will occur next year, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, absolutely. L- let's jump right into that. Um, a lot of people don't understand re- redistricting. Can of kind of fill us in? Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. I, it appears that Michigan has been losing population over the last uh, 10 years. I think we went kind of went up and then back down, uh, if, if, I was, if I'm correct. We kind of had a, a lot of people moving back into Oakland County, Livingston County after the, the lost decade. Yes. Um, after the recession, after the automotive industries were hit. And then um, – it, it, it appears that people are, are kind of moving back out. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, and this is where probably 95 to 99% of the voters 
don't really understand the process for how their county government is uh, drawn for their county commission mm-hmm. districts. And so, you know, thankfully in 2018, we had proposal two on the ballot, which brought, shined a massive spotlight on uh, gerrymandering of the state and congressional legislative districts. And for the folks out there, speak about what gerrymandering is. So gerrymandering is when the people in power draw the districts for the different legislative um, districts in order to enact a partisan outcome to basically have the people in power choose who's going to be voting for which candidates. And it's often used – I mean it's it's a corrupt practice designed to benefit one party or the other um, and really undermine our democracy. Right. And so – and that's where thankfully you know, with the passage of 2018 uh, or in 2018 of Proposal 2 – for our state races and our congressional races, we don't need to be too concerned next year. There's a new process in place. There's going to be an independent body that draws the districts, um, and hopefully that will solve the gerrymandering there. But at our county levels, in 82 of our 83 counties, the potential for gerrymandering still exists, and I'm very concerned it will still occur because nothing has been done to prevent it. Um, so for those that don't know, the, the process is in ever, in 82 of the counties, you have a five member, uh, board that serves as the reapportionment committee. It's the county clerk, the county treasurer, the county prosecutor, and then the party chairs of the county Democratic Party and county Republican Party. So those five people serve on this reapportionment committee that then draw the lines that are going to make up the county government okay. districts. Um, now, in 2011, I happened to serve as the chair of the Livingston County Democrats. So I got to be the one who was serving on this committee to represent the Democratic Party along with the county treasurer, prosecutor, and clerk who were all Republicans mm-hmm. and then also the uh, county uh, chair of the Republican Party, Lana Tice. Um, and I went into it. I was 26 at the time. I was a little <laughs> bit naive. I thought, hey, we Michigan law spells out the way in which we're supposed to. Uh, redraw these county government maps. And so I, I thought, yeah, if I just follow these guidelines as laid out in the law and I do that better than anybody else who's submitting a map, of course, the committee will you know, recognize that and adopt the map that I've drawn. And so that's what I did. I, I had no desire to gerrymander to help the local Democrats. I just simply looked at the numbers and the guidelines and decided, okay, this is very objective. There is no you know, squishiness here. It's the numbers are what they are, and I was able to mathematically figure out what is the best map to meet the guidelines, and I put it forward, and it was kind of shocking to see. I mean, I, I knew that Lana Tice, as the chair of the Republicans, she would push back, but the county clerk at the time, lovely lady. I had a great you know relationship with her, and I really liked her, but – uh, to see her participate in instead pushing through this gerrymandered map designed to maximize the Republicans' chances of holding all nine seats for the coming decade, <laughs> uh, it was it was a bit of a shock and very disappointing. And so it was at that moment that it's like, okay, so in 2011, I did not succeed in preventing the county from being gerrymandered, but you know it's going to happen again in 2021. So. I need to be one of those other three positions, the county treasurer, county prosecutor, county clerk. I need to get others who are willing to run for those positions as well with the platform of preventing it from reoccurring for the 
coming decade. And so that's um, what we've done is I've uh, recruited some friends of mine um, and yeah, we've gotten a county prosecutor uh, in Reagan Lake. Uh, she's our candidate for county prosecutor. Uh, Dan Luria is our candidate for county treasurer. And the three of us are running on this slate to make it clear if elected next year when we serve on the reapportionment committee, we're going to just follow the guidelines. We're not going to gerrymander in order to benefit the Democrats. It's just simply let's have a fair map so that way then for the county commission races for the next 10 years, it's it's a fair outcome. It's that, you know, the Republicans are still going to have a majority in the county. It's Livingston County. Um, but, you know, why why not have a fair map? What is the danger in allowing a fair process to play out? And so that is, uh, you know, what I'm hoping to do with my race is help bring attention to it. And since a majority of the voters in Livingston County voted in favor of Proposal 2 in 2018, clearly a majority of the voters in Livingston County, even though a majority are Republican, they still support preventing gerrymandering from happening, and so uh, that's if that's my platform. I'm you know expecting okay, I can get those voters to support me because this is a, a important issue that is going to have consequences for the next ten years. Gotcha. Now, are you getting any like uh, from the progressives? I mean, and Livingston County has been turning a little bit more progressive. I mean, I think it's natural when people from Oakland County follow the Grand River Trail out. Um, but are you getting progressives for gerrymandering? Are people asking you like, hey, well, that's, X has been doing this for so long or Y has been doing this for so long? And I'm not saying Republicans have. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's no doubt that around the country, I'll just speak on a, on a macro level, um, there's been gerrymandering everywhere. Uh, um, all right, so are you, are you saying people – are you having people saying, hey, if we're in power, let's, let's do it? I have not had any – especially because – Gerrymandering has become more well known over the last several years, thanks in part to Proposal Two. Um, I remember ten years ago when I was going to be serving on the committee, and you know, I, I had um, had discussions with people in the state party about how the uh, opportunity for gerrymandering exists, and we need to do our best to prevent it. You know, in every county throughout the state, and. And I, I got some pushback from people within the state party like, you know what, well, over in counties where the Democrats have control, you know, let's let them do what they're going to do. And it's like, no, let's just make it clear, you know, across the board, we as a party do not support the practice of gerrymandering. There's no mm-hmm. reason for us to. We can win when we run on the issues in a fair election. And, I agree. And so that's where, um, you know, 10 years ago, I, I didn't you know, have much ability to influence things. Um, but this time, uh, you know, I, I do think that as a party, there. I mean, I've not had anybody push back on the idea of undermining the Democrats' ability to gerrymander. Everybody's on board. Let's just get rid of gerrymandering altogether, all the Democrats I've spoken to at least. And so we um, just had our county convention in Livingston County a couple nights ago. And, yeah, I had put forth a um, – just a, a resolution and yeah, it passed unanimously to call on, you know, just the across the state to end gerrymandering of the county commission districts and it's going to be sent on to the state party and where hopefully it will be adopted at the state convention as well um, to make it clear as the party as a whole, the Democrats will not participate in gerrymandering and and the solution really is simple. At the first meeting of the reapportionment committee next year. Before any of the census numbers are out, before anybody will have any idea what the numbers are going to be to you know start drawing maps, the 
the committee just needs to pass a resolution saying that they will strictly adhere to Michigan Compiled Law 46.404 subsection E, which makes which says that no uh, township or city or village shall be broken into multiple districts mm-hmm. unless necessary to meet the population variance. And so that's where if you strictly adhere to that, which is in the law, then all that means is if you have different maps and one breaks more townships, you know, and divides the townships up into multiple districts and has a worse population variance, by definition, that has not followed the law. You're, mm-hmm. you're breaking more townships to get a worse population. If instead there's a map that keeps more townships whole, more cities whole, and has a better population variance, by definition, it's an objective measure. There's no – there's no debate there. It's the better map that, according to the law, should be adopted. And so as long as, you know, at that first meeting, the committee commits to doing that mm-hmm. before the numbers are out, then when the numbers come out, then it's just, okay, let the numbers fall where they may. Gotcha. And you, <clears throat> we were speaking earlier and you said it's so easy that even a computer can do it right now. Oh, yeah. Ab- and, yes. And take out the human emotion from it. Right. Because, you know, especially at the county yeah. level. At the county level, I mean, you're dealing with a simple county, you know, in Livingston County, 16 townships, two cities. Um, and so there's only so many variations. And that's where back in 2011, I spent hours, you know, <laughs> tweaking every little map just to see what would it do to the numbers until I found, you know, I could not improve upon it no matter how many more tweaks I made. But a computer could do that much quicker than yeah. a human. Um, but yeah, at, at the county level, you know, there's only so many variations that could occur uh, with the different precincts being, you know, to draw them. As long as you're following the precinct boundaries, which every reapportionment committee should, um, then yeah, it, it's only a certain, a finite number of variations. Gotcha. Well, I'm in favor of drawing it for the Republicans, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and unfortunately, there are some, I mean, just, <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, I, I know that I, I don't actually think that you, but there there are some who are not in favor of preventing gerrymandering because they view it as a benefit that, to their personal, personal partisan ideology and and it's just a shame because it's hypocritical. I mean nobody would actually support gerrymandering if they were – if they felt that they were going to be harmed by it. Yeah. They, and so I just – I want to do what everybody should do, mm-hmm. which is prevent it. So, All right. so that's the crux of my platform, fairvotelivingston.org. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the three of us running as a slate on that issue. And then as a county clerk, I've got other issues I'm running on. OK. All right. Let's, let's talk about one of those, um, election election transparency. Um, so you're, you're, you're a fan like me, free and fair elections. Um, I, I've said it a thousand times. I think we've gone back and forth on it. Uh, well, first, let me, let me backtrack this. Yes. Is our bet still going? Oh, yes. All right. So Jordan and I have a bet. <clears throat> And I'm not sure if I told you this, but I'm betting that Trump's going to win the election. Jordan is going for Biden. Yes. All right. And I give Sleepy him Sleepy Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy with Joe. Yeah. So, so if if Biden wins, I have to wear a Biden shirt, and I'm, I'll wear it on the podcast. So you can come back. Okay. If he, if if uh, if Trump wins, he's got to wear Trump stuff. Yes. I'm so, I'm comfortable with that bet as long as it's not Bernie. Although I'm pretty sure I heard Jordan say he's not voting for any old seven year old white men. I, I, in the primary, I was not. I was, <laughs> yes. And you have to wear a mega hat too. Uh, hey, you can bring whatever attire, and I will wear it. Do you, do you but, think Joe Biden's going to win? Oh yeah, I, I, I'm. Well, if we have a free and fair election, 
I, I there's so much going on right now that is threatening to undermine that process. And and that's where we all observe the same things, but coming at it from different sides, it's as though our perception is very different. And so when I see what's happening with the post office, the the postal service, my perception is that this is a corrupt malicious act to undermine our election and I assume you don't perceive it the same oh, way. No. Nope. Nope. We see it the exact same yeah. way because um, I, don't. I, I know people in the post office and they're taking pictures. Yeah. And carriers have been called out on what they're doing. And there's ballots, like over 20,000 ballots in Sterling Heights still sitting there that was even before the elections. And northern Oakland County, um, a lot of things are going to be challenged. And we try to get a hold of uh, Macomb Daily and other news outlets and – Nobody wants to cover it. They just want to cover everything up. Well, okay. And so you're you're then in agreement that what's happening at the postal office is undermining our election? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, she's, she's in the views that, that it's hurting the, the Republicans as far as uh, late votes coming in. Right. Uh, um, for example, we are, one of our candidates that we worked for. Um, he, he hasn't conceded yet, um, right. but he's not. He's not out there super protesting. Like say, I'm not. He just wants a. He wants just like we would. He wants every all, vote every, counted. Every vote counted. Yes. Right. Um, I think you're you're viewing it as um, uh, not getting enough funding, unable to do their jobs, will potentially help Republicans. Well, it's not just that. It's also you know removing the mail sorting machines and removing the local you know mailboxes in you know high population areas. Those acts. I can only perceive as having a malicious intent. I, I I cannot see what the justifiable excuse would be that if those things have an effect on the outcome of the November elections, was it a free and fair election at that point or was it meddled with by the people who control the post office right now, which is Donald Trump's administration mm-hmm. and his postmaster general? Like – it appears to me that what Trump and Postmaster General DeJoy are doing is corruption. And I I don't know how anybody could then still cast a vote for Donald Trump if if what is going on is an attempt to to tilt the election against a free and fair outcome. Well, you know, there's a lot of people taking advantage and uh, working all this overtime that is, you know, bankrupt the post office industry. So, I mean, something's got to be done. The funds aren't there. I mean, I'm not saying they should be doing what they're doing. And I know this just all just got released and I've been really busy, so I haven't been able to follow it to see what's really going on. But I'm definitely going to check it out. But, I mean, there's always two sides. Well, I think the bigger issue is is, is it mail in voting a viable option for the, for us? I think that's really what it comes down to because as, as as Republicans we're looking at it as like all right, there's and I can see both sides here because we we've had this discussion. Like I would, it, it sounds crappy to say this, I would I feel like the Democratic Party right now, especially the progressive left, which I know you're not. I mean, I'm not going to go there, but you know what I mean. Right. You know what I'm saying, and I know you're a reasonable Democrat. I would say the progressive left would do anything to win this election and overthrow yep. Donald Trump. And that's our concern is that, hey, all right, we, we know we know that dead people are still getting mail-in requests. We know that in the state of Michigan, about 846 people, uh, and that's just in one little thing, like I mentioned earlier, uh, were dead and they casted v- uh, votes in this primary. So we're concerned with 
the 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 decisiveness of 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 what's going on and potential corruption on the left. Okay. And you're worried about corruption on the right. Well, now, so if you are saying that you don't view the mail-in votes as having I'm, the same I'm okay sec- with absentee ballots. If you request an absentee ballot and right. you get it, right. I'm cool with that. Okay. I'm not a fan of ballots being mailed out. But that's that. there is no example of that, of ballots being mailed out. All that's being mailed out are the application requests okay. that you then, as an individual, when you receive it, you have the choice. You can fill it out, send it back, and they'll mail you your ballot. If you don't fill it out and send it back, you're not going to get a ballot in the mail. You still then need to show up on election day. Or even if you get it, you, you fill it out and send it back and you get your ballot, you can bring that ballot, that absentee ballot, bring it to your location on election day. Um, but nobody is getting a ballot unsolicited without you know requesting one. And so the, the mail-in, the absentee voting process is very secure. It, it, it mm-hmm. maintains high integrity. In Livingston County, 30 percent of the voters – Already have been voting absentee prior to 2018, which you know then opened it up where everybody can do it, you know, with no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to if if there is any integrity problems in absentee voting, it needs to be addressed just for the 30 percent that was voting long ago. But if you look back at all of those elections where we've been having absentee voting, you don't actually find. Problems. There, there aren't actually votes being counted that are not legally being, you know, legal voters expressing their, you know, participating in democracy. Well, I mean, okay. So for the primary, there was people getting six and eight ballots. Someone said thirty-three ballots or applications. It's a I, big I've, difference. I've seen pictures of ballots, but it's on social media. So I mean, I'm a critic of that, but it could if it's a ballot that is a major problem. And that's where, though, then, okay, let's find the root cause for how they got the ballot. Was it Secretary of State was doing it? She sent out applications. I got the application from her. I I did not get a ballot from her because I ended up voting in person on primary day um, just because in Brighton it was I knew there would be low turnout. And you're a candidate, too. Well, and and, (laughs) um, and also, I mean, I know that sadly our state legislature has not provided the resources needed to our local clerks to handle the much higher volume of absentee voting. And so, you know, as a low risk person when it comes to COVID, I – I viewed it as, okay, if I show up to vote in person, you know, that is enabling more people who are high risk to, you know, have their – be able to vote absentee without putting as much of an overwhelming strain on the local clerks. Um, And so – but that's – there aren't actually ballots going out to people that I am aware of and if there are, then – Yes, it needs to be investigated and figured out exactly why. Now, there's the possibility. Well, we know why. <laughs> well, but do we? Like, yeah. I mean, you have a perception that the why is because the Democrats are trying to cheat. Is that the- yes? Okay, I- hold on. Let's 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 put it some. Some, okay. not okay. all. Because because you know we're 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 all we're all on we're right, right. we're left but right. we're not far right we're not far left here. So. Yeah. If that was the case, wouldn't we have? Uncovered that when Donald Trump was elected and he, you know, created a you know election integrity task force to look into and find voter fraud, and they came back empty-handed. 
it's not kind of like impeachment. <laughs> I just had to throw that yeah. in. Yeah, okay. well. it's not difficult to uncover voter fraud if it's actually occurring. It all depends who's uh, leading the uh, investigation. I mean, you know, if the Donald Democrats Trump's... are in control in in local the states. I mean, this that's a national level. I mean, how can he control something that? Per, that Pacific to really nail down it. It's going to be up to the states, in my opinion, to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, he could put something, you know, some kind of executive order or something. And but, you know, there's areas that are run by Democrats. OK, so let's take examples of what could be voter fraud. So, for instance, voter impersonation. Do you think that that's a problem? Um, Not a major problem, but it's a little piece. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And do you think it would be easily discovered if it was occurring? No. Uh, oh. It all depends I mean, if, if it's investigated. You know. well, it all depends who's running the show in that in that clerk's office. Because okay, let's say voter impersonation was occurring. Wouldn't you have many examples of people showing up to vote and being told, "Oh, well, they already cast a ballot." Because somebody else impersonated them to to you know already steal their vote. If that's because that's what not ver- if I read the obituaries a month before. I was just going to okay. say that. So <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I think in my head though. Okay, you know so I mean? it's if voter they, impersonation as far as dead people voting. Dead people voting. Potential okay. dead people voting, or for example, uh, you know, let's say you have elderly people. Yes. You know, I'm not, I'm, my dad gets his ballot. My yes. dad's a Democrat. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, if if they're older and they're not going to vote. Yes. Uh, my parent, my dad votes. Democrat. Yes. My mom doesn't vote. Yes, I could get I could get my mom's ballot and vote. Okay, now, so the so you're talking about then with the absentee? Yeah, absentee. So not too. the in person. No, no, in person voter. I think voter impersonation would be a minor problem. Um, in person. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's high because, risk. But I mean, that's something that you know those on the right have been, stri- you know, pressing for years for stricter voter ID laws, as though you know, because that's the only thing strict voter ID laws. Well, would. I'm a big fan of voter ID laws, but that just, that's just because if you're going to show up and do something official, you should have an ID. But, that's right, and I don't now, think illegals should be voting, or anybody doesn't have ID at all. Illegals should not be voting. I mean, like, yeah, people who are not actual American citizens. They should not be casting ballots, but they wouldn't be. And voter impersonation does not relate to that because they are not registered voters. Right. And so so if it comes to strict voter ID where you've got to show up, think of yourself as a wannabe criminal who's trying to engage in voter I do impersonation. Every day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you show up, you have a fake ID for somebody else. And you try to use that ID or let's say there is no ID requirement. You show up and say, I am John Smith. I'm here to vote. I don't have an ID, but I want a ballot for John Smith anyways. Okay? So now how could you possibly be caught? There's multiple ways. If you have you know, already seen John Smith's obituary in the newspaper, there's still the high likelihood that, okay, when they pull up John Smith's you know, voter file, they see his age, they question then, hey, wait a minute, you're not, you know, 80 years old. Or this has happened before. There was the Project Veritas people who were trying to do this. They were Mm -hmm. trying to request ballots for dead people and they showed up in person to request it. And the person working the poll knew the person who had was deceased and that was, you know, Mm -hmm. the name that they were trying to request a ballot from. They were caught because those 
safeguards exist. The people working our polls are local people. And so, you know, it's a very easy way to get caught. Now, would it be possible for somebody to sneak around and get lucky and not get caught? Yes, that is possible. Is the risk reward something that we should view that as likely to be occurring on, you know, any scale whatsoever? No, because the penalty for doing that with the high likelihood of getting caught, that penalty is large. And I mean, I'm in favor of making it, you know, a mandatory five year felony, you know, in prison. Like, let's strengthen the penalty if we need, if we actually think there's a problem. But the benefit of, you know, getting that one extra fraudulent vote in order to risk, you know, becoming a felon, like, I don't view that as a rational decision that criminals, wannabe criminals, are going to make. It's just not worth it. Well, I'm more concerned about the clerk's office with the voter fraud. I mean, it's going across the United States and in Florida. That one lady, she got caught, and someone in Michigan not too long ago was found guilty. Um, I, don't, I don't remember that. The Southfield clerk? Yeah. Well, because now she was it, – it, it is – thought that, or at least from my understanding, she had done something with the ballots, marked them up in some way, not to cast fraudulent votes, but maybe changing dates on something. It, it, it was not my... It was from, still fraud. Oh, yes. And and she was caught. That's yes. the whole point. She was caught. The system works to catch the, the crimes. <laughs> well, but They like, all don't get caught. Come on. Well, (laughs) to make the assumption, though, that it is a widespread problem when you don't have evidence to justify that assumption, it's it's a I get the reason why people assume it, because they want to believe the other side is cheating. But it's not there's not enough evidence to actually justify that accusation or that assumption? Well, there is because people have gotten caught. I'm not saying it's a widespread thing, but it does happen. And I'm sure it happens in a lot of places that we don't even know about. Okay. I'm going to throw it out there. That's a lot. I think I think it happens on, on – see, my thing is like, we've, had, we've had this conversation. I think the, the, um, I think the, the ability for it to happen is on both sides. Although yep. I, I definitely – as someone who's like, you know, a little bit right um, – I just see it as that mounts hatred for the president as well as uh, really Republicans in a whole. I mean, it's like if you have an R next to your name, uh, which I'm an independent, but I lean right. It's like we will do anything to get you out of power. And I've seen – and I think where we're coming from is we've seen what we've seen over the last three years, three and a half years. Um, uh, one thing we can do though, it's, and I really want to talk to you about this, is is purging the voter rolls of death or dead deceased. I should call them deceased. That's yeah. more politically correct. Yeah. Uh, deceased people. Yes. And making sure we have a good registration, registered to vote program. Yes. How would you handle that? Well, yeah. And so right now there are already different best practices throughout the nation as to how to maintain an accurate voter registration list. And so now with any action that a secretary of state would do or a local clerk, county clerk or a local level – and any time that they do anything to remove people from the voter rolls, there is a balance, a cost benefit. You want to, you know, the benefit is keeping it where you have as few people registered who should not be registered anymore. Maybe they've moved, maybe they've died, maybe somebody registered Mickey Mouse to be a voter, and you got to get those names off of it. But 
the cost side is the potential that you're removing a legal voter and you are taking away their ability to cast a vote and participate in our democracy. And so to find that balance with, you know, I'm fully in favor of maintaining clean voter rolls and following those best practices. And from everything that I have read and looked into, the state of Michigan does that fairly well. Yes, absolutely. There's going to be voters on the rolls that may have moved. And, you know, there's if there's a way that, you know, okay, a new reform is needed to have our, you know, uh, local systems connect with all 50 states, you know, if, that, if there's something missing that would help prevent or, or clean up those voters. What's the delay on if someone moves or someone uh, passes away? What's the delay on, on how it would hit the voter rolls? When, how are you – I mean is that your specific job or your team's job or uh, – I don't actually have intimate knowledge with the, the you know, the timing of the process. Mm-hmm. I mean there um, – because I – my understanding is it's multiple levels and multiple processes that are constantly going in order to keep a clean voter registration roll. Um, but as somebody – I view it as, okay, worst case scenario – a fraudulent vote that is counted is equally as bad as a legal vote that is not counted. Do you agree with that? I can, I can roll with that. I mean, okay. Because uh, uh, a fraudulent vote that is counted. Depends who they vote for, Jordan. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> fraudulent vote that is counted has the same effect you know, in, in undermining the, the results as a legal vote that was not yeah. counted. And so with any change in – Law, it's got to be okay. What is the more likely outcome between those two? Are you more likely to prevent legal votes from being counted than fraudulent ones? And so that's where, when it comes to going back to the voter ID laws, so if there's not actual voter impersonation going on, that these laws are going to prevent. And because, okay, let's say there are people showing up and requesting ballots for John Smith and getting them and voting. If they're already that organized to try to influence the election, to take it one step further that they've got to come up with fake IDs, I mean that's not beyond a – that's not an impossible or a perfect safeguard to the system. But OK. So voter IDs, let's say you know it's preventing 10 fraudulent votes from being cast. Would a stricter voter ID law prevent more than 10 – legal votes from being cast and counted. So, you know, you go out and party on Halloween. I, I've had this where, you know, one year, yeah, I, I was at a party and my date, she, you know, somebody stole her purse. Mm-hmm. So they stole her ID on Halloween. And then it, three days later, it was the election. She would not have had her ID to be able to cast that vote. Now, is that a common thing? No, but it only takes a couple anecdotes to be more than the 10 fraudulent votes or whatever the minuscule number of fraudulent votes that may be out there. It's such a small number on the fraudulent side that it doesn't take – Voter impersonation side. On the voter – yeah, Let's just leave with that yes, on the voter I can impersonation. See the audience and there's some of the some people we know are going to roll in their eyes right there. <laughs> but and, and so I mean now there's a lot of people who they do not have the means to acquire the 
IDs that are, are you know, being proposed as needed to vote. So what do you do with those people? They're legal American citizens, but, you know, based on how long ago they were born or where they were born, you know, as far as, you know, in rural counties, the records don't exist anymore. It was such a long time ago. So if they don't have, you know, their birth certificate and their marriage license and all the things needed to get a driver's license, they then have no means by which they can actually cast a vote. And so you've taken away their ability, that legal voter, you've taken away their ability to vote in order to you know, try to go after this minuscule, if it exists at all, number of voter impersonation votes. And so that's where as government officials, that is our job is to balance the cost and benefit of any policy. And we've got to be honest and recognize what the costs are and what the benefits are and with the reforms being pushed by the right, there's the costs outweigh the benefits on virtually every one of those issues. Gotcha. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the clerk's office? We'll move, kind of move into some world affairs afterwards. But One quick thing. Yeah. Um, transparency. Another issue that I'm running on with my campaign is transparency. The county clerk is the recording secretary for the county government, county commission meetings. Now, I led a – grassroots campaign to pressure the county commission to broadcast their meetings. Oh, we, yeah. Yep. yeah we, you touched on this. Yep. We are a county of 200,000 people and the, the county meetings. county government holds meetings sometimes at 730 in the morning, sometimes 730 at night and in a small room where if any of those 200,000 residents want to know what's going on, their only ability to do so is to travel all the way to downtown Howell and sit in on those meetings while they occur, which is not practical and in today's age is not needed. Yeah. I mean here we're broadcasting live while recording a podcast. The technology is not too expensive to simply – Enable anybody who wants to observe the county government to be able to do so from the comfort of their own home. If I'm elected as county clerk and the county commission continues to drag its feet in broadcasting their meetings, I'm going to take it upon myself as the county clerk, set up my phone with a live Facebook feed, you know, and just live stream yeah. the meetings because why not? They're, they're that's not live all streaming it, those. I remember you, no. you were doing kind of protests stuff like that or speaking. At yes. the, and, and, and I thought, I thought we had succeeded back in 2017. Yeah. I had gotten people to show up and threaten the people's filibuster and it, it pushed them to start the process. It took them about eight months and they looked into it and, and yeah, they implemented a broadcasting mm -hmm. system that only lasted about a year and a half. And then, oh, the contract expired and they didn't renew it. And so then I enacted a people's filibuster and, you know, we had a meeting of, of like, you know, we – I think it was like 50 people spoke during the call to the public just making it clear we want them to bring back broadcasting. And yeah, it made it like a three-hour meeting. Um, <laughs> and that kind of gave them the impetus to begin again yeah. broadcasting like or looking into, researching the issue. But they've not yet – fully actually adopted not like your hometown like they put it on uh, the local tv network and it always we, replays over and over again right right and yeah i mean you know with the um city of brighton where i live mm -hmm. you know i watch their meetings i you know whenever i want yeah. you know after but they you want to see it on the county level yeah and and, and yeah in livingston county like you know 10 or no not 10 i think it's like six of the townships two of the cities, like they already enable their residents to observe the meetings from home. There's no excuse for the county not to yeah. do the same. And as clerk, as the recording secretary, 
I'll be in a position where I'm right there. I can just, you know, videotape it myself if need be if they're not going to do it. Gotcha. What do you think that you can do better than the existing clerk that's been holding the position for the what last two or three? She's elections? been, yeah. Uh, oh, Li- yeah. Elizabeth, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Betsy Hunley. Um, yeah. And, I, and yeah. just for record, I know nothing about her. Yeah. And she's always she's, welcome to come on the show too. She's a very nice lady, and and she's I, she making a reckless mom. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And and um actually when I was uh, filing my uh, campaign finance report she came out and was talking with me and she asked me you know like do I have any complaints about how she runs her office and I'll be honest no I, as far as you know the actual nuts and bolts of running her office on like the record keeping side and on the election side I am not going to be criticizing her she's doing a fine job there um but it's these other issues where I am unable to trust that she won't participate in gerrymandering the county government next year. And she has done nothing to help with the transparency issue that I'm trying to run on. You know, she could be doing it herself right now, broadcasting the meetings. She is not. So those are the key differences between me and her is, yeah, I'm, I would maintain, you know, what she's doing at the county clerk's office and all the other roles, but it's, it's the, Next year on the reapportionment committee and then also with transparency, those are the two main things. And also just being a voice for our ability to vote absentee because she came out and criticized the secretary of state when Jocelyn Benson decided that the whole state was going to get the uh, absentee applications. Um, our, you know, Betsy yeah. Hunley, she came out. That's a chance for voter fraud to happen. So, <laughs> well, at least she came out and said it was our illegal. Perception. Yes. Our perception. Yes. yes. Well, and so she put out a press release saying that it was an illegal action. Is it? I. Is I, it technically illegal right now? No, no? it okay. is not at all. Because it's she was relying on a court case that had to do with local clerks sending out unsolicited absentee applications. Okay. And that court case ruled that because, you know, in the law, you know, it says the way in which local clerks can send out the, the absentee ballot requests, um, the applications, that, you know, it, it, the local clerk wasn't abiding by that. It, it prohibited the local clerks from doing it. Okay. It did nothing to constrain the top elections official, the Secretary of mm-hmm. State or the Bureau of Elections, from doing it statewide. There, you, you can't just apply something that is – for the local clerks and say, well, it also applies to our top elections official yeah. and the Bureau of Elections. So, yeah, it was – it is not illegal. I mean I – I I just got one, a voter uh, ballot for mail-in. Are you going to mail it in? Are you going to the polls? I'm going to, I'm going to the polls. You dance your way to the polls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, so the, the, uh, the transparency is the other main issue okay. in my campaign if – you wanted to move on to other topics. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some eyes rolls here. Okay. Biden's VP pick. Yes. I know you're happy about it, huh? Well, she wasn't my choice. Okay. I I, I prefer well, for president or VP. Well, neither was my choice. Okay. Um, you know, I yeah, in the primary for the presidential pick, I wanted anyone other than you know a septuagenarian you know old white dude. Um, so I, I liked Pete Buttigieg, and I liked Elizabeth Warren, and I you know there were many different candidates throughout the process that at different times. Okay, this is my pick at this point, but you know each step of the way, eventually they they started dropping out. Amy Klobuchar, I was a big fan of hers. Yeah, I remember um, that. And so. So yeah, when it came time for okay, now Biden's the nominee and he's going to be picking his VP. Who is it that I'm hoping to see? I went first 
age-wise, I wanted somebody other than a boomer. I didn't. Wa- I wanted his pick to not be another in that generation. You know, bring it. Yeah, I'm, to I'm bring bring up the next generation. Someone that uh, might survive it. Yeah, well, yeah <laughs> and so that's why you know, like Elizabeth Warren was not somebody that I wanted to see for VP because yeah, I mean she's of the same same generation. She's Indian. <laughs> and so then the, my next you know preference was geography. And I wanted somebody from the Midwest. And I liked both Tammys, Tammy Baldwin out of Wisconsin and Tammy Duckworth out of Illinois. And I was thrilled to see Tammy Duckworth making her way. I didn't really want Gretchen Whitmer to be picked. I was going to – oh, no. thank God. <laughs> um, I was on board with Amy Klobuchar, but she took herself yeah. out. So you know, to see that Tammy Duckworth you know, had made it into like the final five of – I was really hoping it was going to be her. I think that you know, she's got the bio and the qualifications – and would have been just a great running mate um, for the time. But, you know, Kamala, I, I am happy with Kamala. Um, it just it was not who I would have chosen. I'm actually happy with her, too. I think it gives Trump a great chance of winning. Yeah, she's a radical. I think she's voted the 100th most liberal uh, um, senator. It, yeah, her voting record was very progressive, and it was interesting because in the primary, you know, she was viewed as more fighting for like the moderate lane, while Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were, you know, fighting over the progressive lane. Um, and so, you know, she got a lot of pushback from two people on the far left. It is, you know, yeah, not want, they didn't she want. Still, she still is. <clears throat> but and so it's it's weird that the people on the far left are opposed to her in some ways, yet. As yeah. you pointed out, you know, her voting record is very progressive. And so, you know, in this day and age, the Democrats are still held to a standard that applied 20 years ago that really shouldn't matter anymore. What's we, that? Well, you know, worrying about, okay, combing through her record as a prosecutor to find anything that could be spun to be a negative. Those things are – you know, outdone by daily occurrences coming out of the White House as far as, you know, corruption and all the things like that you may want to criticize her for on her record. They pale in comparison to what we see right now. And so, I mean, just for giving equal weight based on the egregiousness of things, her her stuff should not matter in my Oh man, I'm just smiling. I can't stop smiling right now. It, it, it's amazing how two people, two. I mean, I would consider you a rational person, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and you too. And it's funny how we can see one thing and you see another thing. Oh, yeah. But uh, no point in going to blows. I guess, <laughs> and, you know, I don't think anybody from California should be able to run for office. <laughs> Pelosi, yeah. Lock you're, her up. You're not a fan of Ronald Reagan? No. Oh, I love Ronald Reagan. Well, <laughs> well he's the obsession. Okay. No, there's good people in there. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. So what's what's another hot issue? Is there anything coming out recently? Um, so we have Kamal Harris. Yes. Um, we have COVID. How, are, you're not happy with COVID handling? Um, Here, here's my position. Yes. I'll tell you this. I don't knock the president and I don't knock Whitmer for handling of it. The mm-hmm. only thing I have a problem with is the executive orders from Whitmer. Okay. Oh, what about you? Oh, and putting putting uh, elderly people in nursing homes. Yeah. When you had the, the USS Comfort, and I can't think of the other name, just ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so those are my two issues. This is not this is not a political thing for election. This is just us having a conversation right now. What, what right. are your thoughts? Well, I think if you look at our nation, you know, and our response, and compare it to any other industrialized first world nation, the Sweden this? Yes, <laughs> you know, but all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our outlier. The Sweden's outlier for how they approached it and how they approached it. But we're the outlier in the consequences. 
we're the outlier in the results of our response mm-hmm. and in not a good way. You know, like the at a national level, it's embarrassing to see what our numbers are compared to Canada and like all the others that we would view as our peers. You know, UK, they've taken it kind of rough as well. Um, but even compared to them, I mean, we <laughs> – we are the worst leading the world in having the worst outcome in our response. And, and that begins with the administration because it's not like Monday morning quarterbacking. It's not looking back in hindsight and say, oh, they should have done this. At the time it was occurring, you had people sounding the alarm. This is what needs to be done. This is, you know, the, the testing and contract tracing, you know, that needs to be heavily emphasized. And you did not have a administration leading on that. You had an administration that was acting as a counter argument who was not in favor and just, you know, being dragged along by the states taking it upon themselves. And so the states, I look at Michigan and our results, and yeah, I view that as a successful handling of it because, you know, we we had a problem at the beginning. We were one of the you know, three worst states at certain, dun, dun, you know, dun. early on. Yeah, and nursing homes had something to do with that. It was a large percentage of deaths. Okay, and so now – at Londa's, the time, Londa's are getting angry now. No, oh, yeah, I'm I, just kidding. No, I, I, and, <laughs> and I understand those who want to point to that as saying, you know, okay, therefore Whitmer failed. Their life is important. Yes, and there is no reason when we had empty buildings like Cobo Hall and all these tents set up in different counties, ready and waiting for bodies to come in or patients to go in, and. They remained empty, we could, but, but, but we could send yeah. people to nursing homes to kill the elderly. That, that's a big issue, and, and we could have we could have potentially. And again, this this is twenty twenty quarterback. I'm, I'm Monday morning. I'm Thursday morning. I'm Friday <laughs> after Thursday night football here. I'm Saturday or Sunday quarterback <laughs> and the college players here. But you know, we had we had we could have easily moved non urgent patients out to other facilities, and then move the COVID patients in. Um, the only person that I know, I, I, I don't know anybody that had, even got COVID, honestly. I do. Do you? Yep. Yeah, see, I, I don't know anybody. I, I know one. I know some people that knew people, and I knew uh, one lady whose dad died in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really didn't pay attention to the, to the, the process and why we're moving them into nursing homes. Did you? But, I mean, that's something that could have, could have been handled better. It was I the nursing homes choosing It's only Democrat that. states that it happened. No, that's Government. not true. But um, like the, it, the the nursing homes themselves were the ones who were taking on the pay. It's not as though the governor was coming along saying, you know, this is where we're putting them, you know, the, as the was state. There, was it, there incentivization with, with dollars? Oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I assume that there, you know. Or a, any, any potential funding from the state? Yeah, to handle, because, yeah, I mean, all hospitals and all that, you know, were getting the resources needed to handle the, the mm-hmm. They were the getting more than what they needed. They were getting extra money if somebody was put on a ventilator and uh, in COVID patients. I mean, the it was, they were giving thousands okay. of dollars more, tens of thousands. Uh, what was it, $36,000 for, or 41000 42000 for a ventilator patient? And, and so now- are you then saying that there were doctors out there 
who saw a patient and decided this person doesn't need a ventilator, but I'm going to put them on a ventilator in order for the hospital to get the money. Yeah, haven't you seen some of those videos? People are like we're in hospitals talking about it, doctors talking about it. A lot of people lost their jobs. There were doctors saying that they were intentionally doctors, nurses doing. I think they were saying they're encouraged to do so. Okay, because you know they have the Hippocratic oath, mm-hmm. um, right? But I. I don't know any doctors yeah. who said they did not abide by the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they would come out and just say that. Well, because I, I, I think I think what they're saying I is don't they were heavily think it's encouraged to, to do so. I don't think right. it's fair to right. accuse them of you know any of them of having maybe done so. Like that, that's an assumption that I would not levy against our healthcare professionals. I just I'm not comfortable doing that. Well, I know nurses and I know people, so um, I would I would level it against the the hospital administration, <clears throat> not so much the doctors. My sister's right. a heart exactly. surgeon, so hundred percent. I think it's in, the administration and the insurance companies, which again affect policy. But I <clears throat> I would I would leave it short of saying anything happened with respect to doctors. Okay, and I think we Same. can find common ground there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was heavily encouraged. I think the I think the COVID count was way too high, too high at first. Uh, I, I think everybody's going to get it eventually. But it's a, in America, it's a virus. Maybe, other parts of the world, that's not a necessity. Like they've found a way that they don't view that as the same inevitability. Like they, they okay, look at New Zealand. I mean, obviously they're an island; it's easier for them. But they're not thinking, oh, well, someday everybody's going to have gotten it by that point. No, they're going to be able maybe. to ride this out. There's let's, other, let's hope so. There's other viruses that they didn't shut down the world, you right. know. And you know, you should got, they have? No. Okay. Because you know what, viruses come and go, you know. Lon and is, Lon and I are freedom loving Americans here, <laughs> but but it's, look it, at the uh, even with shutting down our country, it and destroyed taking the steps, our economy. Right. It destroyed people's then, lives. Even then, we have one hundred and sixty thousand deaths. How many more would we have had? How had many we not, more died when we had other flus? I mean, I could go on and on not, because no, not at all like that. <laughs> not oh yeah, those numbers. Yes, do your homework. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. No, no disrespect. No, yeah. I, but yeah, do some research and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> so let, then let's push it towards the economy. Then I mean, I, I saw an article thirty, what a thirty-two, thirty-four percent GDP. What uh, the, again? This has nothing to do with elections. Uh, what, what can you see as far as the stimulus? Are you? Are, what's your thoughts on the executive order that jumped Congress to get the four hundred dollars to people? I appreciated the um, student loan deferral, like mm-hmm. that. That one. He had the authority. It was a good, good call. I'm not, you know, critical of that one. The other ones don't actually do anything. Um, you know, it, it was more just for show, but it doesn't achieve any outcome that he was trying to say it would. Um, and also, though, I mean, he didn't have the authority to do many of those things. I would assume you would agree President Biden next year is not going to have the authority to just issue an EO to just change tax policy on the wealthy, you know, single-handedly without passing something through Congress. It's probably because he'll be in a nursing home. <laughs> but <laughs> No, I, I honestly, I, I'm with you on, on the authority, but it's, it's going to be funny seeing them sue the president. Well, I don't necessarily think I, they're going to sue I think the president. It was, I think it was political. I, I do, and I think it was a good trap set by the president but, for optics. Okay, so the optics is he's doing something that you don't actually think is legal, but he's doing it for a political gamesmanship of trying to make the Democrats look bad. So he's doing illegal actions to make the Democrats look bad. Well, he's not necessarily doing anything bad. illegal. 
I'm saying he can push it and then they'll have to go to court and see if it happens. And let's see if during the elections with Pelosi and Schumer saying, no, we don't want to send unemployment benefits to people. We'll see. We'll see yeah, how it goes. I don't expect them to take that position, but well, I, they why not just they'd go be back wise to the negotiation the table? Like, you know, one trillion, three trillion, meet somewhere in the middle. Why Why not? <laughs> oh, Pelosi because, can't do that. Time out. Time out. They offered to meet in the That's middle. That's 500 – let's say they met in the middle. That's still one – one never, trillion. One one. There's still well, another one, trillion. Yeah, another yeah. trillion. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking that they just split three. But yeah, you're right. Me in the middle too. Right. That's way too much. What, what about what? Have, what's what's wrong with clean and we lean? Did Jordan? Four trillion back in March. That was way too Betty much. And, that was way. That was the Republicans. Now, are you happy Jordan. that the Democrats slowed down the Senate Republicans when they were trying to ram through that thing? You know, without any oversight whatsoever. The Democrats said, "Hold up, no." You know. Yes, we have a crisis, but we're not just going to pass this. Let's install some better safeguards. Was no. that you didn't think that the, the Democrats made the bill better? I don't by accept doing that? the premise of your argument right now. Okay, <laughs> I don't accept the premise of it. On a side note, I would uh, be okay with the president allowing money to send Nancy Pelosi to AA. <laughs> <laughs> so no, but seriously, uh, I mean, we we keep going on and on. Um, let's see. Who do you have in Eighth District Congress? Alyssa Slotkin. You, no, you want her to win, but who, yeah. do, who do you think? Oh, will win? I think she will win. I think the district is going to be even more in her favor than it was in 2018. I think she's going to outperform that. Now, let me ask you a question: Who do you think? Who who had a better chance, Mike Detmer or Paul Judge? <laughs> well, I that I don't know. I am not a good predictor when it comes to elections. You know, let's add that caveat. Um, I think that Detmer would have you know, been able to get more enthusiasm, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that would have uh, it would have also been a counterbalance enthusiasm on the other side. Detmer would have kicked her butt. <laughs> All right, awesome, awesome. Well, he's still May. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Jordan. Well, hey, we appreciate you coming in. Uh, this is BJ Humphrey signing off. And this is Londa Gatt. Londa's heading out to another rally today. She's like the rally queen. Uh, Jordan, any last? I really appreciate you having me here and look to do it again maybe in the future. After the election, one of us will be wearing the opponent's uh, shirt. We'll have some fun with it. Yes. All right. Awesome. Really nice meeting you. Again, this is Detroit Uncensored, episode 004. Jordan Genzo, uh, get out and check fairvotelivingston.org. Fairvotelivingston.org. All right. Have a good one.